0: We will find out how amazing it is, but I appreciate Joyce's faith. <laughs> Could we stand together in honor of God's Word? We have been doing Scripture Memory, and we're doing... We have two, two messages left in our series on transformed lives, and we're going to do 5 through 11. 11 is the last verse, and then next week we'll put the whole thing together and do all 3 through 11. So here we go out loud with me, if you would. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, Love, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, to the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, we found out that I confuse people when I'm trying to do it with you. I have memorized this, but I am supposed to read this while you do it by memory. So here we go. I'm supposed to go slow. Let's get rid of all that. Here we go. Verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I believe you have something very powerful that you want to both speak and impart to us today. Give us ears to hear. Protect us from every distraction. We love you. We praise you. Hide me behind the cross. I would be the main distraction. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, so that we can see and hear you only. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Transformed lives, love. Point one Agape love is difficult and rare. Tim, I don't know if it's the monitors or what's squeaking up here, but I'm it's going it's all good. In that it will drive me nuts. But so the word here is agape. There is this long list of qualities. But it's all moving towards this goal of agape. All of the other qualities are actually part of agape. The, the goal of the whole thing is to move to agape. Paul says this in First Timothy 1, 7, that the goal of our faith is love. It is the word agape that springs from a, a, a sincere heart and a clean conscience that here's what we're supposed to be about is this Agape love. It is very easy to say, well, why don't we all just love one another? Love is the answer. I wish we could all be more loving. It's very easy to talk about love, but true agape is very rare and it's very difficult. No one is more aware of this than Peter himself. In John 13, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. And he said, uh, to love one another, agape one another, the way I have loved you, or the way I have agaped you. This is John 13, 34 and 35, two verses later, Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, I will die for you. I will give myself, this is what agape is. Agape is more than phileo, which is that fond affection that leads to devotion. It is is this pure love that is willing to sacrifice itself for another. And he says, I will die for you. It's easy to talk, folks. Jesus' response is this. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Fast forward. It's now John chapter 21. Jesus is alive from the dead. It's the third appearance. This is actually this morning's one-year Bible reading. And this is one of the only instances, folks, because I want us to trust our Bibles in English. But this is one of the one of the only instances where we miss what he's saying by our English Bibles. Because here's what is actually said in the Greek. Jesus says, "Peter, do you agape me? Do you have this self-sacrificial love for me?" And here's what Jesus says back, "Lord." I phileo you. I have a fond affection for you. The second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? A second time, Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. I have a fond affection for you. The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you just have that fond affection? And Peter is angry because he says, Lord, you know this. You know that's all I've got is phileo. I used to think I had agape, but I've only got Phileo. And then Jesus says, well, it's interesting because Jesus says, even though you don't have the love you want to have, I'm still calling you to feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, and tend my lambs. And then he says, the day is coming, Peter, where you will go, where you don't want to go, and someone else will lead you. And it's speaking, it says, of the death that he will die. The day will come where, where Peter will have a agape, where he will actually give himself for Jesus and for the gospel. Peter is very aware of the difference between brotherly kindness, which is phileo love for the brothers, and agape love. Agape love is not something to presume that you automatically do because you believe in loving. This is a very rare quality. It is very difficult. It is, it is the pinnacle of virtue. It is the goal of character for the Christian life. This is the word used about God's love for us. It, Phileo is also used. He has a t- tender affection for us. But it is his agape love that is um, demonstrated by his sacrifice. Here's 1 John 4, 10 and 11. This is love or agape. Not that we agape God, but that he agaped us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We are called beyond tender affection. We are called to this agape, to this self-sacrificial love, which is the definition of God's love for us. This is the love that the world does not understand And it's what sets us apart as children of God Listen to uh, Matthew 5, 43-48 You have heard that it was said Love your neighbor and hate your enemy But I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you This is the love that was required for the gospel to even come. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, that we were moral enemies of God. However, we might paint a picture of ourselves that we're basically good, that we're basically kind, that we're basically... The Bible says something very different. It says, morally, we were enemies of God. And it was while we were enemies of God that Jesus came and died for us. And it is while we were enemies that grace comes and saves us and reconciles us to God. This is the gospel. Loving your enemies is central to the gospel because that's what God did. He loved his moral enemies. We were all against him. And at that time, he did the greatest thing for us. He came and died in our place, for us. And so he says, this love that I have loved you with, that has saved you, this is the love I'm calling you to. This is what will set you apart in this world as sons and daughters. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples because you're going to have this love that there's no other explanation for except God's love in us. He calls us high. He calls us to be perfect, like the Father is perfect. He's talking about this love, calling us to the highest level of love. Now, having called us there, us recognizing He has called us there. He has called us not just to be loved, but to love in this very high way that is unexplainable to the world. We, we embrace that. We say, okay, I've been called to this. Okay? And then our last point. How? <laughs> how, how do you love like that? It's one thing to know you're called to it and say, okay, Lord, but it's a whole other thing to do it first. We must agree with God on the value of a human soul. To love people like this We have to agree with God on the value of a human soul. Now, this dollar bill, and and the the illustration would be better if this was a $100 bill, um, but I've got a one. In the second service, I'll have a 20 because my wife, I'm sure, has a 20 somewhere. Um, This is what I have. This is what husbands have. So, but can you pretend with me that this is 100 Can we do that? Okay. <laughs> so why is it worth $100? It's simply because the government has assigned it a value of $100. Without the government giving it that assignment, then all it's worth is, the, is its green paper. It has, it has the, the, the value of paper. It's almost worthless. But the government has assigned it a value. See, the human soul has its worth because of the assignment God has given to it. First, human souls are valuable because they are loved by God. Sin separated us from his presence But it never separated us from his love. Now, here's the interesting thing about money and about souls. All right, so this this guy, it was minted in 2013. But here's what our government doesn't do. Okay, so it was $100 when it was made in 2013, but now it's old. Now it's six years old, so now it's only worth 50. No, that's not how it works, is it? It doesn't lose its value. Uh, it was worth a hundred when it was fresh and crisp, but now this thing has been crumbled up and beaten, and and uh, so now it's only worth twenty. No, that's not how it works, is it? It's amazing what you can do to currency, and it doesn't lose its value. You can actually rip currency. If you have more than half, it's still worth the full amount. You can tape it. You can tear it. You can. There can be a little oil stain on it. It doesn't lose its value. The government doesn't change its value because of what's happened to it. Now, this is absolutely critical when you think of human souls because how many know a lot's happened to human souls? A lot of sin, a lot of sin that human souls have done, a lot that's been done to them. They've been crushed. They've been crumbled. They've been stepped on. They, they, they've seen too much in this world. But in God's economy, human souls do not lose their value. You are never going to be more loved than you are right now. Not even when you're in heaven. You're not going to be more loved than you are right now. That love doesn't go based on how good you've been today or how good you were or how God loves you. It is about his agape love and it is assigned value to the human Soul. Secondly, human souls are valuable because they were created for a great purpose. Human souls were created for eternal life. This is God's great designed for the human soul. God alone it says is immortal in 1st Timothy 6:16. 6, in the gospel he offers to share eternal life with human beings. This is your destiny is to share eternal life with God. Now some have taught and believe that all human souls are created eternal to try to boost the value of a soul. I do not believe that. I don't think it's scriptural. I think we were created for eternal life, not with eternal life. I think that's why there were angels assigned to the garden in Genesis three twenty four. The reason why, God says, is lest these angels are after Adam and Eve sinned. They, they lock them out of the garden. They've got angels there with a the sword. Lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in their evil state, in their sinful state. God God never uh, wanted us to live apart from him forever and we're not created that way. Now, I certainly believe Human beings live past their bodily existence. Everybody has their day before the judgment seat of God. Um, Those that have rejected God end up perishing in a place called the lake of fire. They end up being destroyed. They end up being consumed. But that doesn't take away the fact that every soul was created for eternal life. This was God's plan for every soul. Remember the golden text? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God's plan for souls was to share eternal life. This is the great purpose that every single human being you know was created for, that they would live forever, that God would share his eternal life with human souls that 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 gives souls a tremendous value because of what they were created for thirdly the value of a human soul they were purchased by the blood of Jesus maybe several months ago we were down in our uh, no it was on a tuesday night it was a tuesday night prayer and we were in a place of worship we were in a place of coming before god and somebody came up to the microphone and and, and the lord the lord wanted us to know that he was giving us this was the quote the red carpet treatment <laughs> and the red carpet uh in this thing was the blood of Jesus. So I. I it, this came up again this last Tuesday morning. And, and so I looked up red carpet. What does the red carpet treatment mean? Here, here's the definition of the red carpet treatment. Deferential treatment. accorded to a person. Of importance. And here's it's, it's used in a sentence. They gave her the red carpet treatment. So this is what God has given to the human race. God came in humility. He died for us, not just so that we would have eternal life with him, but that we could live with him now, that we could approach him, that we could come into his presence. He has given each one of us the red carpet treatment. We are of great value to him. He has shed blood so that we can come, Hebrews four sixteen that we can come with confidence before the throne of grace in our time of need and receive mercy and grace for whatever we're going through. He has given us the red carpet treatment. Now, another way to think about the value of anything is the price somebody's willing to pay for it. And God has paid the highest price for human souls. He paid the blood of Jesus. So point one is to see the value, to place value on human souls. How do we have agape? Secondly, we must receive the agape love of God ourselves. This is love, 1 John four nineteen. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. This is why godliness has to come before agape. Getting close to God and having God be the center is a prerequisite of agape love. You and I are incapable of agape love without receiving agape love first. Now, I want to use the red carpet treatment in another sentence that the definition gave. Here it is. He is embarrassed by the red carpet treatment. He is embarrassed by the red carpet treatment. Here here we've got the picture that somebody's been invited over to somebody's house, but they have put the best dishes out. They They have treated him like he's royalty, and it is embarrassing to him to be treated that way. So here it was. This is this last Tuesday morning when it came up. Somebody brought up about the red carpet treatment and that that red carpet is the blood of Jesus. And, um, and... As we are praying, it's all the leaders, of the, it's, the, it's the leadership. And I just got so filled with this, I finally just had to say it. That a lot of us have this false humility where we have said we are unworthy of the red carpet treatment. We're kind of embarrassed by it. And so we really don't do it ourselves. We, we believe it for others. We believe it for special people. We believe it for maybe Pastor Tom or, or maybe Billy Graham or, or maybe somebody else. But the idea that I, that God wants me near him, that God wants me to come with confidence, that God wants to pour himself on me, that, uh, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. Because I know who I am. And I know that's what we believe. And I know that's what the pastor says. But now listen, friends. Listen. Christianity is not going to work for you without getting past this. God has set value on you. And he's, he's rolled out the red carpet for you you and i need to come into his presence without guilt or shame or fear this is the place of intimacy this is the place where where we receive his love this is this is critical to you growing L- listen to ephesians 3 17 through 19 and i forgive me computer people this is not in their notes Listen, I want you to listen to it. Paul's praying for the Ephesians. This is a church that's on fire. He prays for them, that you being rooted and grounded in Agape, they, you, you don't get started except receiving God's love for you as. as a, he loved us at, when we were His enemies. He reconciled us to It is Agape love that got you started. It is the foundation. Of all salvation. That you being rooted and grounded in agape. Here's how I'm praying. That you might know. This is the the word know here is the experiential know. The love, the agape of Christ that passes knowledge. That knowledge is the head knowledge. I want you to encounter something that is beyond your understanding. I want you to encounter the agape of God that you might know the height, the width, the depth, and the length of the agape of God for you in Christ Jesus. Then you will be filled to the fullness of God. So... We've started because we've received the love of God, but to advance, to become filled with the fullness that God has for us, we have to get a greater revelation of his love. We have to get a greater revelation and a greater encounter of his love for us. This is the key to releasing fullness. So do you see how hard the enemy is going to work at false humility? He's going to do everything he can to accuse you. To say this is for somebody else, but this is not for you. You've sinned too much. You're too guilty. You're too, God doesn't even like you. God, Jesus barely died for you. He died for you because he had to. That's, that's a lie. He loves you. He loves you. And he's rolled out the red carpet for you. And he said, come on in. Come on in. What about, what about, what about, give me all your whatabouts and come into my presence. Come into my presence. In fact, make your home in my presence. This is what you were created for. You were created to be near me. You were created to know my love, to live in my love, and that this, this revelation would expand in you so that the agape of God will be in the world through you, we must receive the agape love of God ourselves. This is why the agape is the only foundation for marriage. So I do pre-marriage counseling with people that I'm going to do the ceremony, and it's always the first one is on the foundation, the foundation of Marriage. Turns out there's more than one Greek word for love. This is why it's so confusing in in English because we use love in a, so many ways. Greek is much more specific. So eros love is romantic love. The, a romantic love is the love of uh, of romance and of. Of this passion for the opposite sex—it is an indication that all the hormones are working. <laughs> Romantic love is very important in marriage. We've talked about that. I did a whole message on sex and marriage. But you cannot base your relationship on eros love. What's going on in our culture is this is exactly what's happening. It's a disaster. So, here's the language of eros love. We fell in love. It was love at first sight. Here's the problem with falling into love. If you fell in, you were just walking along and you were love's victim. You just fell in love. If you fell in love, you had nothing to do with it, you just fell in love, what's going to prevent you from falling out of love? What's going to prevent you from falling in love with your manager, or falling in love with your secretary, or falling in love with a, a character on TV, or a w- woman on the internet? So let's let's examine the term falling in love, and love at first sight. Let's let's look at them because Hollywood has presented this as as love. For one thing, I question making Hollywood the experts on love. <laughs> because their own marriages are a disaster. So, what is the love at first sight thing? What is that falling in love? It's Eros, it's hormones, it is charm. You you like how somebody carries themselves. You like they—they just the whole package. They're—they're beautiful. They're attractive, and they carry themselves. Here's what the Bible says: Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. So what? what, Well, but I feel it. I really feel it, Tom. Okay, I have no question that you really feel it. But just—it's just really important. You understand? You're falling in love with a package, the packaging. It would be like, it's Christmas morning, and mom and dad have this huge gift, and you're like, I love it. And they're like, what? You haven't opened it yet. I love the packaging. I love that ribbon. I love that wrapping paper. This is my favorite. I have, I have fallen in love with this gift. This is my new favorite gift. They're like, you haven't even opened it yet. See how deceiving Eros love is? You can't fall in love with somebody. You can like the packaging. You can like the way they carry themselves, but lo- real love means you've got to open the pack, you've to find out who they are. They are not their packaging, they, they are what's inside. But we've li- we live in a culture that has sold packaging as everything. So we all work on. Being looking right, and and there's a tremendous uh, uh, emphasis on appearance and how you carry yourself and social skills. And, and I'm not against looking halfway decent. Well, you might think I am. Um, anyway, um, I, I try to at least not be a distraction by looking so bad. Anyway, um, I call this my uniform, which is easier for me. Um. Anyway, you can't base your love. Your, the foundation of your marriage can't be Eros love. Or you're going to feel like you, you fell in love and then you fell out of love and now you're loving this person and that person. And it all will be very, very confusing to you. Is why, why if God made me, we married and now God made me love this other person. God didn't make you love that other person. Your hormones did. Now, you also can't base your love on your marriage on phileo love. Phileo love is that fond affection whereby you know somebody likes you and you like them because of qualities they have and we love each other because we like each other. We fit together together. And that's really important in marriage. It's important. Eros is important. Romance is important. And it is important to have friendship in marriage. But if that is the foundation of your marriage, you're in trouble. Because sometimes your spouse is not going to feel like your friend. Sometimes you're not going to like your spouse. And trust me on this one, sometimes they're not going to like you. The very the very qualities that drew them and made you like and opposite attract. It turns out there are qualities that go along with that that irritate and annoy. (laughs) I uh, I am not looking for a show of hands, folks here. (laughs) And I'm sorry that that couple will have to work that out at home later tonight. Because it all becomes confusing. We were in love, but I don't feel it anymore. The love is gone. It would, be, it would be hypocritical to even stay married because it's a farce. I don't love them anymore. I used to love them, but I don't love them now. Okay. When agape love is the foundation of your marriage, it changes everything. Because then the question is not between you and your spouse. It's between you and God. Let me explain. However you're currently feeling about your spouse, trust me on this, God is crazy about your spouse. God loves your spouse. God died for your spouse. God knows all the irritating things. God knows all the the weight gain. God, God knows everything going on with your spouse. He's absolutely crazy about her or him. And so, what happens is, when agape is at the foundation, the issue becomes when I feel love has run dry, love has gone cold, I need to go back to the source. I need to be godly. I need to get closer to God. I need to see them how God sees them. I need to feel for them how God feels about them. So I go in closer to God. This is why Jesus said the only reason for divorce is hardness of heart. You have to harden your heart, not just to your spouse, you have to harden your heart to God. Because God's got more love. God's got a way through this. Now, obviously, sometimes one partner hardens their heart and wants out, and you know, the Bible says you, know, you can't keep them, and people do what they do, and, and divorce does happen. I, I, I understand that. I understand this world. But God has made a way for all of us to have a tender heart before him he's made a way for our marriages to make it and when, it's it's amazing once you get back that agape for your spouse the phileo and the and the eros start flowing as well just like we blossom under the agape of God. That rooted in, grounded in agape. Now we grow up and, and we experience freedom and fullness in, in more. It's the same way in a human relationship. When you agape love somebody, it frees them. They don't have to perform for you anymore. They don't have to be good enough for you anymore. They don't have to jump through your hoops anymore. You are going to love them no matter what. Agape love is unconditional love. And it frees them now to actually love you back. Because they don't have to. They get to. So how do we agape? One, we, uh, we have to assign God's value to human souls. Secondly... We must receive the agape love of God ourselves. And then thirdly and lastly, we must process anger with God, restrain our words, and adjust our lives to love. I'm going to read Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders Will be subject to judgment But I tell you That anyone who is angry With a brother or sister Will be subject to judgment This is, this is about holding anger Again, anyone who says To a brother or sister Raka Now raka is an Aramaic word That means worthless Anyone who says to a brother or sister, worthless, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell itself. Agape, to agape somebody, to set this value on them, to receive God's love for them, it actually has to be worked out in real human life. You have to, Take your anger, which is going to always happen in this world, and you have to learn how to not operate out of anger. You need to process anger with God, and then you need to watch carefully your words. Now, the word fool there that makes us subject to how fool is not that strong of a word in our culture. So I wanted to read this uh, passage from The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard that's going to help us Get at what this whole passage is about. The fool, in biblical language, is a combination of stupid perversity and rebellion against God and all that sensible people stand for. He is willfully perverted, rebellious, knowingly wicked to his own harm. The Old Testament book of Proverbs carefully delineates his soul. The fool, we are told, is arrogant and careless, A fool doesn't care about understanding, but only in displaying his own heart. Like a dog that re-eats its own vomit, a, a fool repeats his folly over and over and so on and so on. To brand someone fool in this biblical sense was a violation of the soul. So devastating of such great harm that as Jesus saw, it would justify consigning the offender to hell. It combines all that is evil in anger as well as in contempt. Contempt is to treat somebody as if they're worthless. It is not possible for people with such attitudes toward others to live in the movements of God's kingdom, for they are totally out of harmony with it. Today, one is apt to feel that Jesus is taking all this too seriously. But what is it exactly that is being done in the delineation of this threefold progression of prohibitions from anger to contempt to verbal desecration? The answer is that Jesus is giving us a revelation of the preciousness of human beings. He means to reveal the value of persons. Obviously, merely not killing others cannot begin to do justice to that. By no means, however, is he simply giving us three more things not to do, three more points on a list of things to be avoided. Certainly, we are not to do them, but that is not the point. If that were all, the enterprising human mind would soon find its way around them. Don't we already know that not getting angry is the way some people have of winning? And don't we hear people say, I don't get mad, I just get even? One doesn't have to be mad to be mean. So here, as elsewhere in his lovely discourse on the hillside, we need to put aside the idea of, of laws entirely out of our minds. Jesus is working, as already indicated, at the much deeper level of the source of actions, good and bad. He is taking us deeper into the kind of beings we are, the kind of love God has for us, and the kind of love as we share it brings us into harmony with His life. No one can be right in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom sense, who is not transformed at this level. And then, of course, the issue of not being wrongly angry, not expressing contempt, and not calling people fools. And so on is automatically taken care of. When I go to New York City, I do not have to think about not going to London or Atlanta. People do not meet me at the airport or station and exclaim over what a great thing I did in not going somewhere else. I took the steps to go to New York City, and that took care of everything else. Likewise, when I treasure those around me and see them as God's creatures designed for his eternal purposes, I do not make an additional point of not having, not hating them or calling them fools. Not doing those things is simply a part of the package. He that loves has fulfilled the law. Paul said, really. All right. All right. So, I'm going to close with what happened to me this week. This whole idea of agape, this whole idea of restructuring your love for real. The, the, the issue that I'm going to talk about is so sensitive and so tender and so volatile in our country right now that I'm not going to speak off the cuff. I'm just going to read the devotional that I wrote that, I, I, that is going out this morning. Here's the devotional. It's called "Praying for Our Leaders." Here's the verse from First Timothy. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. First Timothy 2, 1 through 2. So here's the devotional. I received an email recently from a Christian leader who was calling churches across America to pray for President Trump publicly on June 2nd. I didn't think much of it at the time, except that I wasn't going to do it. Then, on my study day, I began working on the message for this week on living out God's agape, God's love, his agape. We are to place a high value on all human beings, regardless of their behavior. My response to this email came back to me, and I was challenged to look into my heart. Why didn't I want to pray publicly for our president? Why was I suspicious of Christian leaders who are involved in politics? What I saw wasn't pretty. I've been so disappointed and grieved with the political climate in our country that I had simply withdrawn myself from caring. I've told myself that there's no political answer for America and so gave myself permission To ignore this call to prayer. To answer the call, I found that I had to craft two prayers. One for myself to get my own heart right. And then I would be able to rightly lead one for our president. The two prayers are below. Maybe you felt the same way I have and need to join me. So here's the prayer for myself. Father, you have said the anger of man does not work your righteousness in this world, so I give you my anger. I have judged leaders in this nation without having been in their shoes, so I ask you to forgive me. I give you my fear for the future of our country, and I repent for my unwillingness to pray for leaders who I haven't agreed with. Please forgive me. I trust that you are bigger than political parties and that you still have a good plan for America. Please make me part of the solution and not part of the problem going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And then a prayer for President Trump. Father in heaven, thank you for this country and for a constitution that recognizes the inherent value of each human being as well as a declaration of independence that recognizes that whatever rights we ultimately have come from you, the one who created us equal, regardless of our differences or the ways in which we are broken. Thank you for a president who acknowledges you. Would you surround him with people who will speak your truth to him in love? Would you help him and all of us in these contentious times to honor and respect those whose views are different than ours. Grant wisdom to our president and draw him to yourself so that he may be able to see clearly how to lead this country forward. We pray this for your glory, for the good of this country, and for the good of our president. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we have every head bowed and every eye closed please maybe you are here this morning and right now you are not reconciled to god how how would you know that because you don't know that if you died you'd go to heaven you're not sure your sins are forgiven you don't you don't know or have confidence of where you are with God. Well, the Bible says this. Jesus Jesus himself says it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. This is what you were created for. Part of his knocking is actually recognizing that that you have sinned, that you have sinned against him, that you've sinned against people. And that you are in need of forgiveness That's actually part of how the Holy Spirit knocks He convicts you He's convicting you not to condemn you And say you're not the type of person that God loves No, no God's not looking for religious people or good people In his his mind We're all in the same boat We're all sinners that need to be saved So do not take the Holy Spirit's conviction As rejection It's actually him knocking It's It's Jesus saying You need me I died for you. I love you. And if today you want to open the door and ask him in, I've got every head bowed because this is between you and him. I have a show of hands because somebody helped me pray the words to open my door and I'll lead in a public prayer that you can agree with to open your door. But if that is you, Jesus is knocking in this place. Today you want to open the door. Would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? See that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. God bless you. I'm looking all over the place. You can put that group down. Anybody else? By upraised hand. You want to respond to the knocking of the Holy Spirit right now. You want Jesus to forgive you. You want to receive that gift of eternal life. Anybody else? By upraised hand. God bless you, ma'am. I've got you. I've got you, sir. God bless you. I would like everyone that raised their hand, if you would just put the hand you raised over your heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, I thank you for loving even me. Lord, I have done my own thing. I've gone my own way, and I don't need to explain it all to you because you already know. But Lord, I believe today that you died for me on that cross. I believe that you're the one convicting me and calling me home. And Lord, right now, by faith, I open up my heart and I say, Jesus, please come in. I repent. I repent of my sins. I repent of going my own way, doing my own thing. Lord, I want to receive you. I want to receive that love. I want you to make me yours. So right now, by faith, I receive the gift that you died so that I could have it called eternal life. Come in and save me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand to our feet? I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, to come to the baptism next, the class next week. Sign up for it in the foyer or on the, on the uh, bulletin, because ba- water baptism is the public expression of that private experience. Salvation has to be both. It has to go in you, and then it has to come through you, and water baptism is the public expression of the private experience. And so get the other side of the coin. And if you've prayed and accepted Christ in these last few weeks or months or years, add the public confession to the private experience. All right, here's the second call. This one is for you are married. I'm not going to ask you how your heart feels right now towards your spouse. I'm just going to pray for all married people right now. So if you are married, if your spouse is next to you, grab their hand. If they're not next to you, just open up your hands. I want to just pray for marriages right now. Lord, I know that marriage is hard. It is difficult being so close to somebody, to have somebody know your faults that closely. Somebody that can hurt you more than anyone else can hurt you. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't mean it, and sometimes they do mean it. But Lord, right now, we want to forgive our spouses. And Lord, we want to receive again your heart for them. Lord, if we have... Fall, quote fallen in love with somebody else, or we have been looking around and wondered and fantasized. Lord, would you break that over us in Jesus' name? Would you break every attack, every temptation, every fantasy? Break it, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, if we have told ourselves it's okay, because we're not I don't love them anymore, and therefore it's okay, Lord. We we do not want to harden our hearts. If we've come up with a religion where we can somehow hate our spouse, but still love you and still get a new beginning from you, Lord, would you break that thinking and would you tenderize our hearts again? Lord, we live in a country where if something is hard, we give ourselves permission to not do it. Well, there's nothing harder than marriage. But Jesus, you and I can do marriage. By your grace, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, save our marriages. Take marriages that are good and make them even better and more loving and more caring. And Lord, please, God, make us your love in this world. We pray. And then, Lord, for everybody that's not married, everybody that's, their arms aren't open right now. You know what? If if that's you, open your arms, please. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for each one of these that they would carry your agape love. Lord, if you have a spouse for them, if there's a desire in their heart to be married, I pray that you would put them together with the right person. But God, I pray that the middle of this thing would not be them. It would be your agape love. And that you would build marriages that glorify you. And Lord, for those that don't want to, they, they just want to be single for you. Lord, would you make them signs and wonders, sons and daughters, evident because of their love for all people. And then Lord, I just pray for all of us in this country and all of the emotion and all of the words that have been spoken in anger on the internet and social media and the the deep, deep dividing hatred and fear that is just all around us. Lord, would you save us? Save us from ourselves as Americans. Save us from our freedom of speech. And help us to love and help us in this room. And I've got myself right in the middle of this help us be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Give us your eyes for whoever we consider the enemy. If we think President Trump's the enemy, we think the Democrats are the enemy, whoever we think the enemy is, give us your heart and your value on those that we are thinking about as enemies. And help us to love. And help us to love everybody that doesn't agree with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.